What if I told you my car was haunted? I wouldn't buy it. <laughs> yeah, I bet you hear a lot of that. Yeah. Ever notice the fees on your phone bill start to add up? State fees, federal fees, administrative fees, streaming surcharge? It's not exactly what you signed up for, so maybe it's time for a switch. At Boost Mobile, your taxes and fees are included on all plans. That means the price they say is the price you pay. Plus, when you sign up now, get two lines with three gigs of 4G LTE per line for just 50 bucks. All on the fast and reliable Sprint Nationwide Network. With Metro PCS, you'll spend $5 more and only get two gigs. Sorry, Metro PCS. Switch happens. Boost makes it easy to switch, and switching makes it easy to save. Stop by a Boost mobile store today. There you go. That, that's the opener right there, Adam. You, you feeling right. good about this? I, I like this, yeah. You, you ready to, to eat pizza in a car? Let's do it, yeah. It's Car Con Carne. Let's eat in the car. It's Car Con Carne. All right, and it is Car Cone Carney, the world's only food podcast recorded in a car. That podcast is being recorded on Ogden, just west of Milwaukee. We are across the street from Diagostino's. Diagostino's? Diagostino's. And I'm here with Adam Selzer. He is the man behind Mysterious Chicago. He is the man who just wrote what, uh, what seems to be the definitive tome about serial killer H.H. H. Holmes. I should think so, yeah. I, it's exhausting. Modesty put, aside. But... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty dense. I mean, you covered a lot of ground. And we'll get into right. that. Uh, but as we're about to eat pizza, I thought we would throw this on the Facebook so the kids at home can enjoy watching us eat. Oh, sure, yeah. Because nothing is sexier than watching men eat in a car. No. As you know. So here we go. I'm going live. Right? Yes. There we go. Here we go. We are live and <laughs> hang on. There it oh, is. There we go. Yay. Hey. Damn. Hey everybody. Look at that. That's Adam Seltzer. Hey. He's the man behind Mysterious ah. Chicago. Uh, the guy who just wrote what may very well be the definitive tome about serial killer H.H. H. Holmes. Mm-hmm. We are outside Diagostinos on Ogden Avenue. A classic. Look what we have here. Yeah. Ah. Ah. Giant slices of pizza. I mean, these are huge. Yeah. It's like four and a half bucks for this. This is a full meal right here. Right in my neighborhood. Right in your neighborhood. So we're going to start with you. I'm going I'm to make you eat and talk while on camera and microphone. All right. It feels good, doesn't Try it? Try not to bump the microphone too much. Uh, worst things have happened here. Hang okay. Mmm. That's good pizza, Adam Sulzer of Mysterious Chicago. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk. I guess let's start with the ghost tours. Sure. That, that's how I first became aware of you. I've been doing ghost tours in Chicago for over 10 years now. The question you always get asked, do you believe? Uh, depends on what counts as a ghost, I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't really think like a, a, a translucent version of you flies out of your nose the minute you die and then like starts rattling chains around. Okay. Um, you know, I've seen some pretty weird stuff. I just wouldn't necessarily swear in front of a panel of scientists that it was really a dead guy. Uh, what weird things have you seen? I've heard pianos play themselves. Not like a whole sonata, but you know, more than a piano ought to be able to play itself. I've seen uh, people you thought you saw there for a second, and then all of a sudden they weren't there anymore. Stuff like that. Let's tell you, man, um, the worst wasn't even on a tour. It was when I was out driving for a lift one time. 
You know, the winter time is kind of slow for sure. We should tours, have done this in your so. lift. Yeah, probably so, yeah. Because, you know, I've, I've always had, like, a secret dream of being a cab driver, you know. My, my, my ultimate fantasy is Isn't that every boy's fantasy? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I always wanted to be a character in a Tom Waits song, you know. Saying, where to, so, Mac? Pretty much. Where to, I, Mac? I've, 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 I've literally said, where to, Mac, many times. But there's one time, this... Uh, this woman got into my car in Rogers Park, and along with her got this guy. They got in this guy who looked like Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite. Okay, perfect. And you know, I was like, "Where to, Mac?" And you know, well, you know, the, it comes up on their screen, so yeah. <laughs> it really helps. So it was like, and it took drove into an address in Ravenswood. I'm just talking, you know, so oh, you guys live in Ravenswood. You like it down there? We drove right by Rose Hill Cemetery, so I was talking about that a little bit because mm-hmm. I do tours there too. And then she got out of the car in Ravenswood, and nobody else did. And I was like, wasn't there some guy who looked like Pedro? And she was like, no, I wonder why you kept seeing you guys. Stop it. Then I remembered we had gone on by Rose Hill Cemeteries. That, that's our newest ghost in Chicago now is Rose Hill Pedro. After that, I went home. Get out. See, I, I am a hardcore skeptic. Mm-hmm. I love stories like that, but I have a hard time buying Oh, yeah. It. I, I'm sure it was just I thought the guy was getting in the car and he wasn't. You know, because he was sitting behind me. Was it late at night? Were you, me. Like, I, it had been a, a long time. He would have been sitting behind me, so I wouldn't have been able to see him in the rearview mirror. So I can explain these things away pretty well. Knowing that you do these ghost tours, do you think people just flat out fuck with you? Like they try to make you believe in things? Like sometimes, they yeah. Set you up? Oh, sometimes, yeah. I can usually. They're usually not very good at it, though. Uh, when did you start doing it? And I guess another question is why? Uh, 2005, um, there was an opening, so I took it. Oh, so it was an established thing. Yeah, it was an it was established like, company. I just got a job with a ghost tour company. But then I realized how many of the stories they had me telling had not been well-researched over time. Um, there was that all seems the, to be your thing. That's kind like of been you, the thing, You dig yeah. in and you... Yeah, you know, go, go find all the actual data, trace every story back mm-hmm. to the source, uh, try to find the stuff that people missed before. And with A.J. Holmes in particular, there was a lot of that. So I should mention, if you're watching on Facebook Live, first of all... <laughs> Hang on, JV, Dana Lynn, JVO dropping F-bombs makes my day. Fuck yeah. Thanks <laughs> thanks for watching, and uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. I should mention, this is just a fraction of what you'll get on the podcast, on carconcarney.com. This whole long-form conversation, this quality time with Adam, is going to be stretched out and really wonderful listening, and that'll happen next week. Uh, but for now, you can watch us eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I should point out... You're a handsome dude. Yeah. I mean, you really dress, oh, yeah. you dressed for the. I, I dressed in my expert costume. <laughs> you did. I, I I'm dressed in a red Sox hoodie. So I'm a, not a red Sox hoodie. Right. That'd be something different. <laughs> a red White Sox hoodie. Uh, all right. So I started doing the ghost tours. Were you into that sort of thing, or did taking the job kind of help you turn that? Oh, corner? I, I always liked. I always liked that kind of stuff. You know, I was. You know, I always had like all the books about the Loch Ness monster when I was a kid. And I grew up to be a lot more skeptical than I yeah. was when I was 10. I would believe in any monster in any lake you can think of. You know, there's a pond near my house. If you told me there was a plesiosaur in there, I probably would have bought it. Sure. But then, you know, it's kind of, I think, good that I got into all that stuff when I was 10. I kind of got it out of my system. You know, I was all into conspiracy theories and stuff when I was 9. So by the time I was 18, you know, I got that stuff out of my system. And, you know, and, when, and now I'm just kind of stunned seeing adults get into some of this stuff. What are some of the more interesting ghost stories? I mean, I don't need you to give up the tour right. on the podcast, but what are some of those stories? We, we've all heard, I guess, the big ones. Oh, sure. What are some of the ones that you love telling or that people think or say to you, I had no idea. I'd never heard that. That's oh, a- if people like F-bombs, I got just the story for you. Yes. Okay, so mm-hmm. my first year that I was doing this stuff, they uh, told me we were going to go out and do this ghost investigation up at this old funeral home that was now a tattoo parlor. 
Okay. And I said, well, what are the guys on first? First question is, are they on drugs? Like, oh, yeah, they're definitely on drugs, but, but you know, it's going to be cool. That aside. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, that aside, you know, it was, it was cool. You know, they had, like, a gravestone that they found in the attic was in the fireplace. And it was pretty that cool. And, and, yeah, the first guy we talked to was like, oh, yeah, man, it was in the basement one time, and there was this ghost going, like, because that's what ghosts do. Yeah, because you know that's how they sound on Scooby Doo anyway. <laughs> but and so, but then the owner of the place was a cat called Tapeworm. That's his name, Tapeworm. That's what he went by. Anyway. Which sort of related, but not really. There are times when I overindulge on food where I think maybe a tapeworm would be cool. Yeah, I mean the long term. You've always, I, think, I might just be an urban legend that they used to like sell tapeworm eggs as diet pills. I've heard that urban legend. I, I would. I was taught that in school. All right, so tapeworm the, the tattoo. Yeah, so, guy. yeah, tapeworm. He told us about like he'd seen the ghost of a guy in a powder blue suit that would watch him while he was tattooing, and a guy in a brown suit walking around now and then. And apparently, the family that owned the funeral home for decades before it became a tattoo parlor had been said it was haunted for years. Okay. But what really stood out to me was tapeworm pointed up at the staircase, and usually I clean this story up a lot, so I'm glad to be able. To do it like this today. Um, he pointed up with You see them fucking stairs? Twice I've been walking the fuck down them fucking stairs and I felt like they were trying to push me. Like, push me down the stairs. And that freaks me the fuck out because everybody knows you can't fight back with these cats. So, first time and it happened. Tapeworm's a big dude? He was a big dude, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, he looked up and said, Yeah, so first time it happened, I just went, Listen, motherfucker, if I fucking die in this place, it is fucking on. Three weeks later, Tapeworm died in the place. Shut up! Yeah. In the place. In the place, yeah. What's the official... Uh, heart attack. <laughs> wow. The age of 30... Yeah, the age, age that I am now. A really young yeah. age. Yeah. Wow. That's a great story. Uh, yeah, if there's ever been a ghost I felt like I really believed in uh, other than... Ta- then it's Tapeworm, man. I'd go into that place after that. I feel like someone was like flicking my ear, pulling my hair. Uh, it should be noted since Adam decided to work blue today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this podcast may not be appropriate for all audiences. I should have mentioned that earlier. We're already talking about serial killers, right? So. Oh, we are. We're totally going to get into that. Uh, you know, I had Herb, who's the owner of Liars Club, oh, in, the, yeah. in this car. Maybe it was last year. Uh, and he swears, and he has stories, he swears that Liars Club is haunted. Did you ever hear that? I, I used to uh, take tour groups out there quite a bit for a while. Okay, so what's that story? Yeah. Well, there's not as many axe murders as they say there have been in the building. Uh, like, you know, I, one of my uh, tour partners at the time was saying there would have been like eight axe murders in the place or five axe murders in the place. There's been one axe murder in the place. That's pretty good. There's, you know, when was I, axe I gotta, murdering a thing? Like, yeah, and, and who even places on Fullerton Avenue? Why do you need an axe? It's not right. like there's a lot of forestry to chop down or anything, you know, <laughs> or a lot of rails to split. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, there was there was an axe murder there in the '80s, um, and also there was like a pot bottle bludgeoning in the '50s. I think it's been a while since I told that story. Um, I'd have to look it up. It, it, it would never happen in the modern day yeah. because of the soda tax, right? Who, who would actually waste? The bottle, right? You know, or you know, if you if it was Iowa and you had the deposit or something exactly. like that. No, no, you know, it was apparently a couple of guys got into an argument over a pair of pants, and these must have been really nice pants. Right, some some fun. <laughs> yeah, one guy you know would kill for these pants, quite literally, and so yeah, like some guy beat the hell out of him with a pop bottle and like uh, pushed him out the window or something. So there have been a couple of stories there. As far as the ghosts, I never saw anything. I don't think we ever had anything weird happen other than, like, just what you can sometimes see in the Liars Club. I mean, you walk into that place, it's like the cantina for Mos Eisley or something. <laughs> a little bit. You kind of see the ghosts of the 90s rock scene there, too. That you do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't need, like, a special piece of equipment to Definitely register not. that. Yeah. Uh, all right, so here's the deal. I'm going to let you eat okay. off camera, 
as a courtesy. It's it's a courtesy to my guests. I let them finish their meal when other people aren't watching. Uh, this whole podcast will be available on carcoincarney.com next week. Now, we just got into some of the ghost stuff. We're going to talk about grave robbing, and we're going to talk about, really, I, America's first true supervillain, H.H. H. Holmes. Yeah, one of them, yeah. He, he was the Dr. Doom. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. <laughs> uh, so we're going to get into that in the podcast, because like I said, Adam wrote this incredible book about H.H. H. Holmes. We're going to talk serial killing and grave robbing, good, wholesome family fun, Carco and Carney next week. Hi, Adam Seltzer. How are you doing? There, there we go. But, uh, thank you for watching Facebook Live. To get back into it, we talked about the ghost tours, the grave robbing thing. Were there enough grave robberies in Chicago to warrant a tour? Oh, yeah. When was this a, a thing that people did? Between about the 1850s and 1870s for the most part. And what was the purpose? To find like things they were buried with? Uh, the cadavers for the medical schools. Really? Yeah. So th- this is true like Frankenstein's oh, oh, yeah. The, all the medical schools have figured out that you cannot train a new doctor without giving him dead, dead bodies to practice on. But nobody donated their body to science in those days. So Right. You know, they, did, they didn't have their driver's license with the box checked or whatever. Uh, right. Wow, so actual medical students, or yeah. were there universities um, doing this? A lot of a lot of times the colleges did get involved. A lot of times it was actually people from the college doing it, or sometimes they'd hire somebody out to do it. Wow. Okay, so how do you research and get enough information together about that? Because it seems like something that was done very covert. Unless they got caught, in which case there was, in which case it ended up in the newspapers. Then a lot of doctors would, uh, years later, like in the 1890s, early 1900s, a lot of doctors would reminisce about it very freely, and a lot of it, a lot of times, it made it into the newspapers. And were there some graves that were easier to rob than others? Uh, yeah, the, the ones in the Potter's Field were generally the easiest the place and where they bury the unmarked, un, uncleaned bodies in unmarked graves. Well, let's talk about H. H. Holmes. All right, plenty of people are familiar with the Devil in the White City. Yeah. For those who aren't, who was H.H. H. Holmes? H.H. H. Holmes is a guy that we like to advertise now as America's first known serial killer. Uh, what he's best known for is he had a building down on 63rd Street that people have started to call the Murder Castle. It was supposedly filled with uh, hidden chambers, torture equipment, everything you could need to kill a person. Right. And your book is? My book is H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, The True History of the White City Devil. All right. This is a thick book. It is a thick book. This is a very meticu- meticulously detailed right. book. How long did it take you to compile? I mean, I'm sure you had some stuff walking into the, the book writing oh, process. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd have, most most of the research was done by the time it got started. I've been doing research on the guy just for tours and writing articles mm-hmm. and uh, you know parts of other books for years and years. For about 10 years total. When, they, when I finally got the deal to do the book, uh, they gave me three months. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> so that's I, that's I got, ridiculous. I got, simultaneously with the Mysterious Chicago book, too. So I, I went back on uh, ADD medication for the first time since college. Wait, wait. So you had to do two books simultaneously? Yeah. I can almost understand that because I'm sure there are times you want to turn off one book and work on another Oh, one. yeah. You know, you you got to take a break from any project mm-hmm. every now and then. you got to put it aside and try to come back to it. And but, normally so I'd intense. like to do that for a couple of months at a time. I mean, it's not like painting a house. There's right. no quick way to writing. Not really, no. The, the hard thing with Holmes, though, is just organizing and combing through all of the data. Because there was... Um, is there a lot of BS floating around out there? There's a lot. Almost nothing going around about Holmes is particularly accurate, honestly. So you went back... Like, are you at libraries going through, like, microfiche? What are you Quite doing? a lot, yeah. I mean, for real? Well, oh, yeah, a lot, lot of... I spend so much time in the microfilm room. Like, for, um, you know... 
the Chicago Tribune and the Chicago Daily Interocean from Holmes's era have been digitized. Those I can get on the computer. But there's still the Chicago Record, the Chicago Daily News, the Chicago Times Herald, the Chicago Mail, the Chicago Post, um, Chicago Journal. Now, the Chicago Journal might have come later. Uh, yeah, a lot of other Chicago papers in any case. Damn. All the go through. And each, each paper kind of had their own personality, and you can see the different angles they each took in covering the paper. And covering the whole covering the whole case, and that's just in Chicago. Also, you know, that's it's only really useful for the parts of the story that take place in Chicago, like investigating the castle and stuff. Uh, he was on trial and in prison in Philadelphia, so I had to go get all the Philadelphia papers. There's uh, the Times part of the Record and the Inquirer online. The Library of Congress, I got like the Philadelphia Public Ledger, the Philadelphia Press, I think the uh, Philadelphia Post, uh, part of the North American. A lot of different Philadelphia papers. The Philadelphia papers would, like, steal letters out of his prison cell and publish them. So there's a terrific letter from his wife that was really, really illuminating. And, you know, helped help clarify a couple of details that we, we'd kind of guessed about her. Well, and this kind of leads to a question I, I wanted to ask. After doing all this research, after really kind of working at getting in the head of this guy for as long as you have... What, what what made him tick? What was he all about? That's I've never been able to figure out what was going on in the guy's head. I, I feel like he liked to kind of manipulate people and toy with people, which is sociopathology. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. He was, um, you know, he was a swindler first and foremost. And you had, you know, I found in the legal archives here in Chicago, and the legal archives are really fun. Um, where where are those? Those are in the Daily Center. Okay. You know, I'll go up to the eleventh floor, and what they got is microfilm reels at first, but they go through and it's got like the names of the defendants and all the lawsuits. And the trick with Holmes is he usually puts somebody else's name on top, so you have to know all the names of the peripheral characters. And uh, his mother-in-law came up a this lot. This is investigative journalism. Yeah, pretty much. Because yeah, you, 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 so you, you find the number of the cases, then a week later they bring you like a box of crumbling old Victorian paperwork. And very some of his lawyers had just the worst handwriting ever. <laughs> um, one of them, I love it when there's a case with Edward Maher, one of his lawyers. I love it when there's an Edward Maher case. That guy had such legible penmanship. Makes it so much easier for oh me. <laughs> hey, as you're researching this stuff, do you wonder how much else is buried in legal vaults all across America. Oh, How many yeah, other stories? Sure. I mean, there's probably stuff on him in the legal vaults someplace down in Fort Worth where he was for a while. In fact, I'm sure there's quite a bit of stuff in Fort Worth that I didn't have time to get to. Possibly some in St. Louis as well. Uh, so his reputation is well earned. Uh, up to a point. I mean, we, we, we say that he tortured and killed 200 people. And, you know, my, my high estimate would be about a dozen. Which still makes him a it's, bad It's dude. still pretty bad, yeah. It's plenty. <laughs> uh, so the, the way you describe the murder castle... It sounded like you were describing it with a trace of skepticism or cynicism. Yeah, the, a lot of that came... Um, well, we, we tend to blame sensationalized journalists for this thing. The police were just as, uh, just as to blame. We had this new police chief at the time of the Holmes case. You know, the police officer was not a profession in those days. You know, there was no academy. There was no civil service exam. Um, the new police chief was a guy whose previous job had been selling uh, animal feed. He, was, um, he had no police experience, no legal training, no forensics training, nothing in criminology. The, the, the new mayor just liked the cut of his jib, so he made him chief of police. <laughs> and three months later, they start the investigation of the Holmes castle. This three, they'd found out that Holmes had killed a couple of people elsewhere in the country. He also had this weird building on 63rd Street that was supposedly full of hidden rooms. Because he'd been, like, wallpapering over doors to hide stolen furniture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they did find there were a couple of, like, secret chambers in there, but it was, like, not so secret that everybody who worked there didn't know about them. 
Okay. A lot of the stuff we hear about, like, torture equipment, nobody said anything about that till like, the 1940s. So, yeah, because all the stories we hear, and it's probably all apocryphal, <laughs> is... He had different construction crews come in at different times, working different days, who are all independent of one another so that no one knew um, all the secrets. It's, it's a little exact. He did do stuff like that. A lot of the, a lot of times, especially, either the either the crew wouldn't get paid or, more likely, the company that provided them wouldn't get paid. Mm-hmm. So like Most of the people who did the carpentry on the first two floors, you know, we've got all the receipts. They're all in the legal archives. We know that the workers got paid. But the reason we know that is because he never paid the company <laughs> that... Like Edna Iron and Steel uh, never got their money. They paid all, all the workers got paid, but their bosses didn't. So what have you learned about Chicago? Because as you're doing all this research into homes, you're getting a profile of the city. At the time, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was. There was kind of a wild west aspect to the city in those days. That I, I think Which it's seems kind fair because due yeah. south of here, it was the wild west. Right, right. Just, uh, you know, west well, yeah, you know, fifty years before that, you know, west of here was the kind of wilderness we can barely even imagine anymore. Right. And it, that period of Chicago, I find fascinating. I mean, the Larson book had a lot to do with that, but you know, mm. I read books like uh, Karen Abbott's uh, Sin in the Second City, sure. like how prostitution, like the aldermen and mayor would just be walking in and out of brothels. Oh yeah, on the south side. Yeah, of right, right, right in the fancy districts too. You know, yeah. you, you couldn't pee out the window of a brothel without hitting a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you are an expert on H. H. Holmes, the first year, was he? I mean, you also said that with a little bit of. Oh, he wasn't even the first one in Chicago. <laughs> Okay. We had a uh, Thomas Neal Cream was operating in Chicago about uh, for a couple of years before Holmes even got to town. Not too far from here either. All right. So the book is out. Mm-hmm. Mysterious Chicago is the site. Yep. Uh, what else should we know? Where, where should we find you? Uh, you're on Facebook. Yeah, you can try uh, Mysterious Chicago will link you to everything. If you just go to adamchicago.com, uh, that'll link you to most of my stuff. Everything other than like the band. <laughs> the band. Yeah. Yeah, they got a band called 82nd Street. We play a okay, You know, we got a new record coming out in November called Dinner on a Crime Spree. What, what kind of music? It's, um, uh, the, the new album is uh, pretty shamelessly Warren Zevon influenced. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Who was born in Chicago? Was he? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. See, I got one on you. Oh, yeah, you did. Well, he mentions the Clark Theater in one of his songs, which was uh, a 23-hour-a-day theater on Clark Street. Was that like Grindhouse uh, they do like a they would do like a different double feature every night, and it was usually something random like uh, like Dracula on the double bill with some foreign film from Iceland. Uh, I do want to say before we leave the social media message of the week, courtesy of Boost Mobile, it comes from Carl Meyer. Um, last week's show was with Dennis from Eighty Eight Fingers Louie, lead singer of Eighty Eight Fingers Louie, and I mentioned online that after recording the show, I took Dennis home. I, I, dro- I dropped him off. That sounds weird. I, I dropped him off at his place. On our way there, going up, God, it was Fullerton, maybe. Uh, we happened to drive by just as the police discovered a body. Uh, welcome to Chicago. Uh, so Carl Meyer online said, "You should have hid the body better. Pretty much no body, no crime. I expect better." JVO, focus on BTD, bleach, tarp, duct tape. That really ties into serial killing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got you got to bleach that stuff. I would think uh, I wouldn't know actually. No. <laughs> Quick lime doesn't work the way people think it does in mystery no. novels. No, it doesn't. Uh, I find you fascinating. I find your your knowledge and your passion super interesting. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for dinner.